for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. Hello everybody. Today I'm introducing to you, or may I introduce you to the most fabulous Farouk Sheikh, who is a neuropharmacologist, um, both interested in drug discovery and understanding the mechanisms of epilepsy. He's from Monash University in Malaysia and is doing this really interesting research into how to potentially treat some of the epilepsies or types of seizures of epilepsy with certain types of fruit. Amazing. So he's going to be telling us all about that and also how he's helping to challenge the stigma faced by many people with epilepsy. If this interests you, stay tuned and make sure you subscribe and press um, the link below to receive notifications of either this podcast or this video. Hello, Farouk. Thank you for being with us. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, Tori. Thanks for inviting me and thanks for having me. I think it's uh absolute pleasure talking to you. So I'm an uh, associate professor here at Monash University, Malaysia, and I do a little bit of epilepsy research. You can call me an epilepsy researcher. And I had uh, my associations uh, uh, with ILE, International League Against Epilepsy, as a regional representative for Asia Pacific region from 2017 to 2021. I think recently we have a new regional representative elected. Uh, so I got a chance to work with a number of people around the world uh, with the that ILE and especially in the Asia Pacific region. So I do uh, more of the experimental epilepsy research. So I work on experimental animals, which includes rats, mice, zebrafishes, interestingly, uh, to mimic epilepsy kind of condition in them and try to understand uh, which are the potential drugs which could, you know, have anti-conversion potential, as well as try to understand some of the disease mechanisms related to epilepsy, for example, understanding the role of neuroinflammation and specific biomarkers, uh, maybe targeting them could help to improve the epileptic conditions in patients. And this is what we need is the, the research so that we can get... Absolutely. Well, without research, we're, we're, we're stuffed. So... I've I've heard this rumor that you've uh, well no I know it's true that you've released this paper and have this research into the impact of it sounds mad but of fruit upon a person's likelihood of having a seizure. Um, could you tell us more about that, please? Yeah, I mean uh, this was very interesting, and I was actually you know patient and caregiver forum because I'm also involved with Malaysian Epilepsy Society, which is a patient and caregiver and scientist and neurologist society. So I'm involved in that. I'm uh, fortunately as an ex-co member of the committee. And every month we run forums with patients and individuals. And there were a lot of questions coming in from the patient side, like, can I eat uh, durian, which is a famous fruit in Malaysia? And I was like, oh my God. And when doctors were not really sure, the neurologist, they were like, ah, 
looks like there is no research available on that and we can't confirm people just sharing based on their experience maybe yeah you can try you see if if it triggers or if it doesn't trigger then you can decide i thought oh that's a something you know which haven't been researched and i should put my hands into that so before even moving to you know work on durian so i have a phd student uh, nicholas who recently joined me uh, he gonna work through all these uh, fruits for uh, whether they are good or bad for epilepsy i will say but before that i asked him to do a systematic review to look at whatever fruits is being explored so about so far in the world and whether they are pro or anti convulsion in nature so i mean we did a lot of databases that paper will talk more about it. just to briefly tell you about it uh, we got about 40 uh, uh, papers research papers which are talking about fruits in epilepsy okay or in seizures in general if you want to talk about it and I think 100% of them are basically experimental studies none of them are clinical okay that's right. an interesting point yeah so again there is a lack of research especially mm -hmm. clinical research we are talking about and then we found there are about 38 studies out of these 40 which is talking about anti-convulsion effect of the fruits uh, in experimental studies again. So right. it looks like all those fruits do have some potential as an anti-convulsion but unfortunately again this is where their lack of translational research comes into the picture. Uh, these are not translated into uh, clinical studies. So either this end up in some thesis or some papers and that's it there is no translational value and i think when as a researcher uh, when i talk to my students and colleagues i say we, we want research which has a translational value and not just end up a paper or which end up with the thesis and after that nobody reads even the person who has written that don't read the thesis so <laughs> it doesn't make any fruits out of it and this is where the fruits are very very important again so I ask, uh, so coming back to the Nicholas uh, work that I asked him that he did, so the 38 which are having anti-convulsion but no clinical evidence, nothing. And I think most of them has used uh, crude extract, fruits extract as such, which is very much relatable. But I think uh, they haven't done very detailed profiling like which, I mean, if you look from scientific point of view, you want to know what are the active chemicals which actually may have anti-convulsion effect you know if you talk about a fruit or any plant extract it has hundreds of compounds in it you know and which we do not know which one gonna work and that's why like if you see none of those drugs are actually based on uh, extracts or from fruits but it's isolated compound for example even you talk about marijuana or cannabis we are not talking about cannabis directly we are talking about THC we're talking about cannabidiol a specific compound which this is where the scientific community accepts that because you have uh, you know derive a specific compound which may have potential and not just extract which doesn't uh, give you accurate mechanism or way to uh, investigate it further so uh, this is where this this 38 studies I will say they lack those information and interestingly we found two papers which are talking about pro-conversion effect of a fruit and right. uh, surprisingly this is one of the common fruit called star fruit yeah and star okay fruit even i know about that one very pretty <laughs> yeah and star fruit is actually i think it's common in asian region probably uh, you might have haven't seen there in uk mm -hmm. 
but it contains two of the compounds caramboxin uh, and oxalate and they they is supposed to have some pro conversion effect and because of that staph root is uh, i will say contraindicated or prohibited for epilepsy patient to consume how i mean again you can debate on quantity how much to eat and how much will provoke that's altogether different research and different debate but in general if you want someone not to take i think carboxyl we were interested to see whether durian exists and there is no publication there is no research on durian as such yeah that's amazing and so there's often like this common presumption um, out of fear a lot of the time, especially amongst people who have epilepsy. Say, give, let's use the starfruit as an example. So in your research, it has shown that it could be a pro-convulsant. So i.e. in layman's terms, it could actually cause seizures. But given the complexity of epilepsy, the different types, people's different genetic makeup, that doesn't mean it will cause epilepsy or cause seizures rather in everyone with epilepsy. Absolutely. It, yeah. Ex yeah, right. So it's not just about the amount you have and a person's weight, of course, like, um, uh, but it's about many, many different other things. And so I think it's really important that that is taken into consideration and there isn't a presumption straight away must not have star fruit. Am I right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. But maybe if, let's say, if, if even induces uh, uh, seizures in one specific person who probably like star fruits like crazy, uh, we could later on can modify star fruits using the plant genetic people to remove that particular compound and make them suitable for them. Is, oh, that's so exciting. Now, so that we don't get people's hopes up too much, that's not something that's going to happen tomorrow, right? But this is something that could potentially happen in probably the distant future. But that is really exciting. And do you know what that makes me think of as well? Like, <laughs> this is going to sound random. But for instance, you can have one type of bread, say it's your regular bread, then you can have gluten-free bread. It's like you could do the same with the star fruit, but it, not with gluten, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so t tell us more. Tell us more about, about your work. Yeah, so I think, I think a lot uh, has to be done on fruits, especially the common tropical fruits uh, specific to, you know, many countries. But I think we're going to look uh, Malaysia first and definitely we're going to come to region later on. Uh, and uh, durian, I think, is, is our target. So Malaysia do have some very uh, specific tropical fruits like uh, mangosteen is one of them. Uh, I mean, they all taste very good, except durian to me, which I tried one time. Uh, you, you, you know durian, right? No, I confess I don't. I... Uh, okay, better you go and Google durian because uh, in Malaysia, in some of the lifts, it's written, if you carry durian, don't enter the lift because the smell is so strong those who don't like that smell they probably vomit uh, but uh, some people yeah it's it's so strong and so weird uh, uh, smell uh, i could just just for the sake of trying and testing i did once uh, after that i don't dare to do that what was the flavor like compared to the smell it is sweet uh, but uh, it's not the sweet how other things are sweet so it's it's a different sweet i don't know how you call it 
Okay, I confess while you were just talking, I did just Google it. And it looks a bit, it looks like a massive lychee from the outside to me, if I'm looking at the right thing. A massive, massive fruit, yeah, right? With yeah. like a it's not, I think it's, 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 it's looks very much similar to the jackfruit, but the fruit inside is different. It's like jackfruit is a bit, bit harder, but this uh-huh. is very soft. If you touch it, it will be, you know, very, very soft. So you say you're studying for about 40 different fruits? Specific systematic review, actually, uh, we looked at 40 different fruits on which literature is available. But uh-huh. what we're going to do, we're going to work on uh, the Malaysian tropical fruits, especially durian, mangosteen, and rambutan. These are the three most uh, famous tropical fruits in Malaysia. And many others as well, but these are the hit list, which anyone in, in Malaysia you ask, definitely they like to have it anytime you ask them. Is it a bit like having an apple in the UK, for instance? Yeah, yeah. So surprisingly, if you read that paper, apple, they mention it in the pro-conversion category. People have did some research on that. Uh, sorry, anti-conversion property. Uh, apple do have some anti-conversion effects. So uh, yeah, so that quote on apple a day keeps you doc- keeps doctor away is not wrong, actually. <laughs> and again, in some cases, because of the complexity, who knows the size of the person. For everybody, I'm going to put links to Farouk's papers, by the way, in uh, in the description below this video or this podcast, just so you can have a good look at this. This is all really exciting stuff. So, I mean, how long is this study gonna this specific study that you're doing going to last? Do you think before you get more? So, answers? I think uh, we we're gonna try. Uh different uh, ways of it so I want to say I mean I am personally interested to look at the fruit extract the crude extract itself because yeah people don't isolate compound and eat fruits so I want to try the whole extract uh, which is just fruit put in a water for a few hours and then that extract but I also uh, would like to do the individual compounds okay as I mentioned like to make sure like if it is CBD or it is whatever you know so that specific compounds I also would like to test. So we're gonna do a high throughput screening again. The one of the uh, zebra fish model we have, just one shot you can get whether it's anti or pro conversion. So that thing we're gonna do uh, uh, with the extracts and with the uh, what you call isolated compounds. And uh, that screening will will give us some idea. But I think. Uh, Maybe in next uh, coming five, six months, we, we're going to tell uh, what we're going to get in that. And, but, but again, that's as I mentioned, it's just a screening kind of thing. We can't confirm. Then we're going to do more detailed models uh, of, of, of those seizures uh, uh, as well as, you know, giving maybe. Uh, so this, when preliminary screen, we just expose for one time, you know, one for a few hours, we expose to that compound extract and see whether it's anti or pro conversion. But... I think as as you know, like some of these extracts, uh, especially fruits and compounds, it probably need to be given for a longer duration in order to see an effect. Okay, so so yeah, so that so we we're probably gonna give a chronic administration and then check whether it has any pro or anti-conversion activity. For those who aren't familiar with the term compounds, could you just break it down a little bit, please? Because um, I think lots of people don't actually know what the word compound means compared to, say, atom, compared to elements. Just so could you just tell people quickly, please? Because I want to make it clear that you can't just eat this one fruit and it's instantly going to have this effect on you. It's not that simple. 
Yeah, thanks for that question. I, I didn't realize it's a podcast. I thought it's a research, you know, discussion and I'm just using my all jargons, you know. So I think compounds uh, are the uh, molecules. For example, we, we have uh, uh, bigger uh, proteins and when you break proteins or, or you can say more, more, more easy, easy example is like we have the bigger molecules of carbohydrates which we consume but that are uh, broken down into small glucose molecules mm -hmm. okay so this is exactly your extract of fruits uh, you know it's it's a bigger thing and when you try to you know extract them and try to find out which are the other compounds so not only they they do not contain only one type of uh, molecule like in case of carbohydrate or protein but uh, they contain a number of uh, Right. Those small molecules are basically we in scientific terms we call compounds or molecules. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. So it's not as simple as it appears when a person says compound. Things can be broken down. It's made up of different things. Well, I think cannabis is a very easy example to quote. You know, the cannabis or marijuana do have a different types of molecules in there or compounds in there. But CBD mm -hmm. or cannabidiol is one of the active constituents in that. Yeah, that's how we can actually understand it much more easily. Cannabis oil um, is, is or, or cannabis is a really good example, isn't it? It's not just about the plant or the the various different types of, of cannabis plant. Um, and it's not just about weed. It's about a great, we've done a, a podcast actually about this before from um, somebody called Kali Seaman, who specifically actually studies cannabis and the use of ca different cannabis oils and extracts on different diseases like epilepsy and it's just there's so much more to um ingredients if you like than just the basic plants um i think it's a really important message that people you know understand that so i think the another uh, another aspect of our research is uh, using animal models you know and which we try to mimic some of the uh, clinical conditions which uh, uh, epilepsy uh, patients or individuals suffering from epilepsy actually uh, faces. Uh, we try to look at some of the behavior aspects, some of the neurochemical aspects, some of the biochemical aspects, try to uh, mimic the clinical condition in experimental studies uh, to test this compound if, if they have, you know, a positive effect is more likely because of the translational uh, value in that models. And then it probably will also work in, in uh, you know, clinical trials or human testing. But still a long way to go uh, uh, because uh, that process is altogether uh, a very lengthy process if we talk from the drug discovery point of view. But I think uh, uh, talking about whether fruits are uh, pro or anti and suitable for patient or not, I think that answer could be very, very quick because later on uh, what we can do based on our initial uh, results on, on animals uh, we could run some survey where people generally consume some of the fruits and try to uh, you know ask them whether these fruits do induce your seizure or look at their seizure diaries you know whenever they consume certain fruits whether it's triggers or protect them you know uh, from from seizures so that's something in the, the next plan we have and it's not one of the exciting I think really interesting things about um, scientific research is that Often the researcher themselves can be surprised about what the outcome is 
of the work that they're doing. So we spoke to a good while ago now, Gareth Morris, who um, who's now joined UCL, um, and spoke about how, how he was doing some work a year or so ago, might have been, oh my goodness, it's 18 months ago, I don't know, time has flown with lockdown, hasn't it? Um, but how the outcome of his work was completely unexpected. Like there was this, you know, this almost not presumption, but you know, you do almost have an inkling about what the outcome of, of a study might be. And, and of course he had that. And then the outcome of the work was almost considered not a failure, but just, a, oh, well, that's no good. But I think that that's amazing. Any outcome of a study that is done empirically is a great outcome. And so for instance, what you did with the star fruit, the fact that that could cause seizures rather than um, help prevent them, that's a brilliant result because some people eventually will avoid the contents of, of that star fruit you said, or, or you know, there will there is poten- the potential for having a star fruit without that compound. And I just think that is amazing. So I want people to know that even if the research you do doesn't provide an expected or hoped for um, outcome, that's a really cool thing as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think uh, you, you, you actually raised a very good point on uh, results are results and there is no, nothing negative or positive. And this is whenever I have my first meeting my, uh, with my PhD or uh, even honest candidates, uh, I tell them like, you just do whatever has been planned, whatever we have hypothesized. Don't care about it has to be positive or it, you know, the way we have planned whatever you get is actually a result and you're gonna uh, whatever you have used for your animal chem- chemicals or your your energy and you know uh, what you have uh, uh, put the efforts you put in it's gonna tell you something and even it is you feel it's negative you still need to report it and i think uh, i am very uh, a big supporter of even publishing you call it negative results but it is unexpected results because if you're going to show the world like I have invested or I have wasted, whatever you call it, my time, energy, animals and chemicals to, to see whether it works, but it doesn't. And you don't waste your stuff on this. Yeah, that's a, that's a really a great saving. And I think it's uh, part of uh, maybe we are contributing to climate change as well, you know, not to repeat things and unnecessary things which are already there. But unfortunately, people didn't report it. Exactly. And then this is a common issue um, that I think we're getting better at at things now. But we we used to have lots of work that was done in a lab behind the scenes. We'd find out all this cool stuff. Then it remains on, well, it used to be a dusty bookshelf. Now it's an unaccessed file. And nobody knows about these results. And therefore, what is the point? But what's great to hear is you yourself, you are actually taking the information you gather, right? And you're actually communicating that to clinicians and to patients directly yeah yeah and i think one one of the another thing i try to you know uh, uh, teach uh, research students is uh, serendipity and i think uh, most of drug discovery happens because of the serendipity so the you you went to searching searching one thing but you you didn't get that but you have to pay attention on other 10 things happening within your experiment and one of them actually is actually a, a breakthrough, but people never pay attention to that. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, even uh, in the discovery, I mean, if I tell this story very often to my students uh, about uh, discovery of phenobarbital for epilepsy, because it was known to be a drug for uh, induced sleep, but it was not known like it works for convulsions. And I think I am forgetting the name of that neuropsychologist who was uh, placed in a uh, neurology ward on the night of his first shift. I think it was a nice shift given to him. And there were so many epilepsy patients in his wards. And uh, what hap what was happened like they were falling one after the another after having the seizures. And this guy was so tired like what to do and he decided to use phenobarbital which was approved as a sleep medicine at that time to inject everyone and put them on sleep. And surprisingly, for next two weeks, he couldn't see any seizures in them. And he wrote a paper saying that, hey, I, I tried to do this, but this happened. And this is how the, the, the phenobarbital is approved for epilepsy treatment. So, I mean, you, the reporting of what was unexpected is again equally important. That makes me think of, for instance, lamotrigine and how that was developed as a, um, I think I'm getting it the right way around. Anyway, as an anti-seizure medication, but it's actually a mood stabilizer for many too. So lots of people with bipolar take it, for instance. So, and I, and I noticed that what lots, what is being looked into more these days is actually rather than necessarily developing new drugs, which are all complicated and da da da, we can actually look on pre-existing drugs and pre-existing fruit, for instance, and see what we can get from that. And I think that's really exciting. So I think, Tori, one of the exciting thing which uh, actually also became the, the the reason for the podcast is like we were thinking and it was your your word saying that oh if rather than taking pills you take a you know a, a, a glass of cocktail fruit cocktail and then that's all I'm talking about non-alcoholic for your kind of information but yeah <laughs> a fruit cocktail a fruit cocktail a day and yeah it, if it keeps your seizures away I think that that will be just great. Wouldn't that be amazing? One of your five a day whilst keeping you... Oh my God, this that, that rhymes. <laughs> One of your five a day and keep your seizures at bay. That's such a really bad line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, everyone who heard that. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, and, and like, we don't want to get people's hopes up too much. These things aren't happening overnight. But wow, there is potential out there. There really is potential out there. Um, which can be exciting for people who don't like popping pills every day and the side effects of those, you know, there are, although one thing I would say with fruit, make sure that you don't have too much because it will erode the enamel on your teeth and you will be stuffed and your teeth will fall out. You can tell I have a dentist in the family, um, <laughs> but yeah. So, okay, fantastic. So if people want to learn more about what you're doing, um, where can they go? This, this fruits uh, project is definitely a very exciting project. And we really want to uh, uh, see how uh, translatable it, it could be, you know, uh, because as I mentioned, my idea is never to close uh, research with theses and papers, but to, to uh, make it more relevant to the clinical, clinical conditions and, and to the patients to improve their quality of life. So I think uh, at least we will be able to uh, give a very... Uh, uh, important information uh, which fruits to take and which not to and uh, I think the patients always have this question in fact our neurologists have this question because there is not much research out there 
so I think we, we will hopefully contribute to that knowledge. So yeah, that's, that's I think uh, I'm, I'm very keenly looking forward to it uh, with Nicholas who has just started his journey on this project. And hopefully we could, uh, you know, uh, show some some uh, some useful and very inform a good information about it. And just so everybody knows, you might have got a bit of an inkling already, but Farouk does a lot directly with people, a lot of work directly with people and families affected by epilepsy. And this is something which didn't used to be the case necessarily, generally speaking, for people who were into epilepsy research and working professionally in that field. So I think that anybody else listening who's a, whether you be a clinician an academic look up fruit for inspiration because we can achieve i believe so much more um, when it comes to improving the quality of life of people affected by epilepsy if we actually know what they need what benefits what, what could benefit for um their lives and because sometimes it's not all about the seizures right it's about the comorbidities it's about the mental health things or it's about, you know, it could be about physical comorbidities. Um, so, yeah, inspirational chap here. Thank you so much for joining us, Farouk. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm humbled with that words. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.